You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 42 Morality in Flux Right and Wrong in a Relative World. at how morality as an idea really stems from religious underpinnings, origins. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, yeah. The fact is that, according to the church, we are born sinful and need to be saved, partly because Adam was the first sinner, so to speak, and we inherited that. Mm-hmm. His sins imputed us. And so we're born kind of sullied and have to be cleansed in the eyes of the Lord and saved in order to get to heaven. Is that the way you feel? Well, I'm not a Christian, so I don't feel that way. I am, and I don't feel that way either. (laughs) That's a sin. (laughs) Sinful. And then set beside that is the secular idea that morality is a kind of relative thing. Mm. Right? And it depends on the context, always. So in certain contexts, killing is a mortal sin, and in other contexts, it's absolutely necessary and right. Like in a self-defense situation. Yeah, like in self-defense, or in some instances like in war, as Mm. in wartime, Mm -hmm. where your country is attacked and you feel you have to defend the country, and it's right to go into war, and it's right to kill, in a sense, innocent people to uphold the ideal that is your country. Aside from a few sort of extreme religious types Mm. who hold to the very word and the very letter of the Bible and other scriptures, aside from those people who have an absolutist idea of what morality is, I think the rest of us are all swimming around in an ocean of uncertainty about what makes for correct action, what makes for ethical behavior, and that sort of thing. So the confusion of morality has also affected our political persuasion, hasn't it? Why? What do you mean by that? Well, if we change our view on morality, it also changes the way we perceive things and the way we think about things. If we're looser about it, if we're more flexible about it, we decide accordingly. Oh, okay depending on which way we're swinging. Yeah, and from one point of view, politicians are liars in general, and we accept that politicians are liars. There would have been a time not too long ago when we had a more idealistic view of what politicians were and who they were, and lying would not be a natural thing Mm. to expect from them. But now we just expect our politicians to lie all the time. A little sin, but a sin nonetheless. Do you really expect politicians to lie all the time? Yeah, pretty well. You do, Pretty right? well. Uh, or at least not tell the whole truth, right? Not There's, disclose, necessarily. Not disclose, yeah. 
a form of lying. Yeah, it's a sin of omission, I mm. guess you'd have to say. And we all have secrets. Governments have secrets. Nations have secrets from each other. Wives have secrets from husbands and vice versa. And we're not really sure all the time where those secrets are actually harmful to be held and when they're right to keep. Okay, so basically you're separating, you're kind of categorizing lies as well in terms of the seriousness of them and the effects. Yeah, some people lie in order to protect their spouse or their family, say, mm. from ridicule or from the danger of breaking up a family. Lies happen, marital affairs, different aspects of a relationship, the lying happens. Or sins of omission, to tell the truth, happens. Mm -hmm. And often done for good reason, and it's often done for reasons of self-preservation. Uh, I know yep. I've, I've lied to my spouse. I'm not happy to do it, but sometimes those lies are there because I'm a bit of a coward and I want to preserve myself and I don't want to subject myself to the anger or the ridicule or the hurtfulness of the response. And so I'll kind of lie to myself and say, this is not a big thing. It doesn't have to be shared. I'll just keep it to myself. Do you expect your spouse to be doing the same and do you accept the same? No, I don't expect either from my spouse. I expect my spouse to be herself, an individual, right. and make her own decisions as to what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate. This whole idea uh, that people have to play a certain role and live a certain way in order to preserve a relationship as it is, it's just as bad as saying it can be chaotic and do anything you want. There's two extremes there. You were honest enough to state what you have done and describe your situation and you were describing your particular lies. So you openly admitted to the fact that you've done it or you do it under specific conditions and the reasons why. So what I'm asking, though, is do you accept that your partner might be doing the same? Oh, sure. And is it okay with you? Yes, of course, because I think 90% of what we disclose or what we don't disclose is what we live with every day, inwardly. We disclose very little of our inner life day to day to day. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, we are individuals. We are essentially alone in the world within our own lives. There's a book called The Circle by Dave Eggers. Okay. And the premise is that it's in the future, in the near future, where the population has been convinced that the best thing to do, the helpful thing to do, is to always be miked and always have a, a video camera wherever they go on their chest so that wherever they are, people can see what they're experiencing. And the premise is from the powers that be in the book, this is very helpful because you can learn from other people's like experience. It's total transparency. Yeah, and you can see what they're experiencing and learn from it, and nothing is hidden in that way. So it's a society of total disclosure, no privacy. Privacy is considered a sin in a way. It's fascinating in that way. What did you think of it? Well, I wasn't thrilled with the book as a piece of art, as literature, but the idea rings true. People feel the need, for example, to go on Facebook and other social platforms and talk about the toast they had in the morning and how delicious it was and that the fact that they put cinnamon butter on it for a change rather than the regular butter. And oh, how nice it was to have some grapes on the side with some cheese. And here's a picture of it. You know, disclosing all of these minutiae of their lives, they really don't mean all that much to most people. And they feel the need to do that for some reason. Why do you think? To feel accepted 
to feel part of the game. You're showing bits of your life, I'll show bits of mine. And that way, as friends, quote unquote, we have a handle on how each other's lives are moving. But it's such here and there, so, you know, I can't get a full idea of so somebody else's life from that. So why don't we do that with a lot more substantive material? Social media encourages much more surface disclosures. Okay, so you can spend an hour talking about how your toast was made or which toilet your cat drank water out of. Yeah, not very important. Well, that's <laughs> my own view, of course. Okay, so let me put you in a situation. You're at a dinner mm. of uh, some friends. They're not the closest friends, but they're friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, the food you're eating is just not really that great. Right. You just, you know, you have a high judgment IQ for when it comes to food. And, and your host says, so how are you liking the dinner so far, Peter? Do you say, to be honest with you, it's not really up to my standards? Or do you say, yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. I really like the... You know. What do you do in that case? It would be difficult for me to answer in an extremely positive way if that's not the way I'm really feeling. At the same time, I'd be weighing what's the significance here and what am I going to accomplish by saying it's not up to snuff or it's not what I would consider a good meal. In that situation, I don't deem it important enough to be truthful because really that's not that important to me. I would also not completely lie. In, in other words, I would not go, oh, well, it's just wonderful, thanks. You know? <laughs> I would just say, no, it's good. Kind of uh, say is, it in a way that yeah. would not be over the top. Yeah. And uh, you they, see it in restaurants too a lot. A lot of people in restaurants lie about their meals when the waiter says, oh, so how was your dinner so far? And you weren't really that happy with the appetizer, but it wasn't horrible. It's just right. you like, okay, you're not going to say, eh, no, it's okay. No, that situation you, to me would be say, much easier. Oh, thanks. Good. Thanks. That would be easier because you know? uh, it's a waiter and he's just doing his job. And by me giving them information that actually might be beneficial to them, that it might be productive. It would help them improve their product or service. And I would deliver it in a way that would not be malicious or, yeah. you know, uh, not meant to hurt, just as information. Which, in the eyes of the church, that's a, a sin of lying. I, I gave up on the eyes of the church <laughs> when I was 10. Okay, then that's, that's very interesting when you say that, because yeah. now you can say, okay, I'm a secularized individual. I would in say a way, I right? am, yes. But what does secularization mean for morality? How do you know, other than from what the church has said is right and wrong, mm. as a secularized person, how do you know what's right or wrong? Well, actually? let me rephrase what I said. I don't mean total disregard for church or anyone for that matter. My version of right and wrong doesn't always necessarily parallel that of the church. So therefore, what I'm saying is I'm not depending on them to make my choice. What are you depending upon? I'm depending on my own life experience, on what I value, on what I deem to be important in terms of significance. And I realize that a lot of it is subjective on my part. Yeah. Know, my own values, obviously. Right. So if you mapped out your ethics and your morality, say it became a painting of some kind, right. and then you look at my painting and someone else, I think we'd find a zillion different yes. paintings out there in the I secularized so. world. And we have come to a point where morality has become a movable feast and it depends on context and it's all relative. If I have to kill you to defend my family, mm -hmm. I kill you and that's right. Even though in the eyes of God, let's say, killing is wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm arguing with God and I'm saying, no, it's not wrong. In this case, it's right. So this whole idea of an absolute way of looking at what is right or wrong and values 
versus this relativistic thing has put us in this very strange place, don't yes, you think? Yes, it has, yes. And I'm more of a relativism type of individual than I am absolute generally, mm-hmm. because I think circumstances and situations can be quite varied. To be absolute in those situations isn't always necessary, at least not for me. Right. So if you're right really, yeah, so if you're really hungry, is it right to steal? That's a great question. Assuming that you didn't have a lot of other options. If I had no other options, I would say, I don't know that it's okay, but I would do it if I had no other options, only because I need to survive. So it's not right to Because I need to survive. Well, no, it's not necessarily right, but that wouldn't stop me from doing it. Okay. It's an extreme situation. But but aren't Uh, you declaring that it is right by saying, yes, I, I know it's not right, but I would do it. You'd have to say to yourself, it's right for me to do this. I have to do this. I would look at it as it's not necessarily right, but I will do this under this circumstance. So it's possible to know you're doing something that is wrong and feel in some ways justified, right? Yes. To do it. And then, of course, that's up to the so-called maker to decide uh, whether or not it was justified or not. One of my favorite examples of that is Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. It's a story I always go to because I remember reading it as a teenager about Jean Valjean stealing a loaf of bread. Right. Even at 15, there was no lawyer or judge that could convince me that that was just punishment based on the circumstance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So because the man had to feed his family and in that particular situation, he felt he had no recourse. Now, that does not make what he did right. But under the circumstances, I would not have given him that kind of penalty. But you see, the word, using the word right and wrong in that way, it muddies the water a little bit. Because you're saying, I wouldn't call it right, even though to feed his family, it was actually the right thing to do because okay. it saved his family, let's say, from starvation. Okay, yeah. So it's totally right that he steal that bread to get them the bread they needed. But then the question becomes, is it right to steal? What, generally speaking? Well, that is a good question. Because in effect, he stole the bread. Sure. So, again, we're going back to that area of circumstance and situation. Yeah, and then you said it before. You assess the, the result of your truthfulness, or yes. your action, and if it's not that important in a way, you're willing to hide the truth a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with the, the bread. It's only a loaf of bread. No one else is going to starve for him taking that one loaf of bread, but his family will live. And so that makes it a correct thing to do, even though on the surface it seems like stealing is a bad thing. Box, box. So, what's your story? I'm here tonight to honor the girl whose unprecedented test score has set a new standard in excellence. Lisa... This giant check is very important to everyone here. But what's even more important is the truth. (laughs) Because after all, education is the search for truth. No, no, it isn't. Don't listen to her. She's out of her mind. And the truth is, we don't deserve this grant. And I don't deserve your applause. I cheated on that test. (gasps) Wait! How dare you condemn this girl? Who among you can honestly say you've never cheated? On your wives? Or your husband's. What she just did took courage. And where I come from, Canada, we reward courage. So I hereby decree that you keep the grant. And let's give this brave girl the ovation she deserves. 
so proud of you. You got the highest grade in the class. But, Mom... The highest grade. Box, box. You can get into corporate culture and mergers and the way corporations, in a sense, steal from each other ideas, territories patent wars, mm-hmm. stuff like that, how corporations even steal from their, their own employees in different ways, yes. you know, or treat, mistreat them. So it's interesting because corporations are often given the, I think, ridiculous title of an entity, that corporations are treated as entities, as human beings almost, mm-hmm. and given that respect, when I think it's ridiculous, frankly. But a lot of corporations, I think, also hold the truth back from their clients, from the general public, often about products that are mm-hmm. the Loblaws thing that happened not too long ago and the bread yep. deal with Loblaws, stuff like that. Well, the tobacco industry for many years basically lied to the population about the dangers of smoking. Mm-hmm. So, Of course, they'll argue a lot of the times that they're not necessarily lying, they're shaping information. Yeah, and, and <laughs> they haven't really lied specifically, or or they've put something in print such that they gave it to you, but you didn't read it. Yeah, war is peace. Yeah. <laughs> 1984, um, just changed the words a little bit, right. shifted around. But I really believe that the whole outside model, whether it's corporations, whether it's judicial systems, whether it's authoritarian sectors of one sort or another. I really believe that all of that has been formulated way back by the family structure and the social structure, which has then been kind of converted in these particular institutions. Yeah, uh, well, I think religion sits at the core of of all that anyway. But um, what brings us to the fact that our political system, our ways of governing in the West, tried to separate itself from the church but failed, ultimately, because mm-hmm. every politician I know tends to invoke God in some form or other or wants people to know that they're God-fearing and they're, mm-hmm. they go to church, blah, blah, blah. But the laws that have been created to kind of keep us in line, if you like, come out of religious origins, really. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Mm-hmm. All of these things are religious, and they get codified in law, essentially. So... I think we're kidding ourselves when we think we're freely engaged in choosing our behaviors according to our own individual values. We're still very beholden to the church and to religion for a lot of the values we use anyway in our secular lives. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not kill. Well, we feel that anyway, deeply, without a religion telling us that. But that was there first. The religion was there first with the commandments. And we've inherited that. It's in our bloodstream, in a way, I think. Yeah. I also think that we've gone well beyond that in many ways, too. I think that's where the challenge is and the difficulty is. The changes have occurred due to many factors, including circumstances, wars, major shifts globally in terms of the world becoming a village, trying Mm -hmm. to integrate different races, different viewpoints, different values. Yeah. I think we're going more and more to the humanistic side Less, less to the religious. Of course, one could argue that religiosity is humanistic. That's a whole other discussion. Mm, right, um, right. But I think that the predominance now is to open the doors a little bit and understand that we are so diverse as people, as cultures, as members of this planet, that a lot of the old regulations and rules don't apply. 
Well, that can go positively and negatively, yes, right? Because can. on the negative side, not that long ago, if you bad-mouthed an entire religion, Islam, for example, mm-hmm. if you said they're all terrorists and they should be banned from our country, people would just call you a racist. Mm-hmm. But because of all the terrorist acts that have happened in the last 50, 40, 50 years, especially from that end of things, from the Islamic world, people say that all the time now, and they're not considered racist at all, but realists. So morality can shift and change according to context and according to the way history moves. I think we're in a very, very strange place right now when it comes to morality, uh, ethics. But let's take it back to the personal one, where I think it all begins anyway, in terms of relationships to our peers, to our friends, to our closest other. Your particular perspective was that we are individuals first, and that we shape our choices and decisions based on that premise. Yeah. So in the context of a relationship, even though the relationship may be the most significant relationship in your life, you're still treating it as individualism within the context of that relationship. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which to me in itself creates a very interesting situation because when you think that way, are you thinking it strictly from your side and saying, this is what I do and choose to do? And are you fully accepting the other to do exactly the same thing and you're okay with it? Yeah. Or do you think sometimes you may have a bit of a double standard in what you're willing to give and what you're willing to accept? Because to me, transparency, total transparency, is not an issue if both parties do it. But how many relationships do you know where both parties do it equally? First of all, I don't know them well enough to know. Right. But if I based it on observation, I would say no one. Exactly. It's an ideal, certainly, Mm -hmm. and you can work towards that. But on the ground, actual psychological fact is that relationships are usually between two people who are individuals who love each other. They're not part of each other. They're not melded and joined at the hip like Siamese twins. They're two individuals on their own tracks in life who have happened to found each other and love where each other is at at that time and want to share their journey together. But it is two journeys in my view, mm-hmm. two journeys. And so it's very hard to create your ideal in a way since individuals have their own level of disclosure quotient, their own level of what they feel is important to share and not to share, etc. So each relationship has to have its own dynamic, has its own balance in that regard between what is right and wrong in terms of how people share their quote-unquote secrets and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. As I said before, I think we're like icebergs. We're 90% underwater and 10% above water. Most of the stuff you don't see, and even one's partner doesn't see. And in my view, that's okay. The key you know? really is whether you and your partner are both okay with the yeah, same thing. exactly. That's right. If you're having all these variances within the context of a relationship, right. imagine extrapolating that to a world stage. Of course. And that's what we have. We have a world of nations in varying relationships, keeping secrets from each other, warring on each other, having arguments like husbands and wives all around the world. And it is a reflection of the individual and our individual relationships. That's the world we live in. That's the relative world of morality in flux right now as we speak. 
if loving you is wrong, <laughs> I don't, don't want to be right. right. <laughs> if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. If being right means being without you, I'd rather live alone than alone. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.